the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Brethren in Christ, laudator Jesus Christus. In, in This is Timothy Flanders of the Meaning of Catholic. Jesus is King. Welcome to your Monday morning man show, Our Lady of Victory, with co-host Jake Fowler and the Trad Thomist, a.k.a. Nicholas Cavazos, a.k.a. Brother Peter Mary. Gentlemen, good morning. It's a wonderful morning to be a Catholic because a Catholic just won the Super Bowl, everybody. Congratulations to Harrison Butker, our brother in Christ. He's a pious, solid Catholic. I love his his Twitter. His if you go to his Twitter, the first thing is description of this of of Harrison Butker, and his Twitter handle is buttkicker seven, which is hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the first thing he says is Catholic husband and father. That's the first thing that defines who he is, and that just tells you all you need to know about Harrison Butker. But Harrison Butker kicked the winning field goal. Father, did you watch the game? You were up late last night, or was that uh, kids st- keeping you up? Um, no, we were over at some friend's house having an anti-Super Bowl party. Not that we were <laughs> against the game of football in general. It's it's fine. I, I enjoy watching it. But we were like, mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> instead of staring at this screen, why don't we just all hang out? So we did that instead. We had uh, we had some cocktails. We smoked some cigars and pipes, and it was a good time. All right, fantastic. We well, did we did check the score, and we all clapped when we heard that a Missouri team won, right? Especially hearing about Butker. Uh, somebody who works with uh, Butker used to actually go to our parish. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, so it, it was a good time, though. Nice. Yeah, it, it was it was a fantastic game. If you like American football, I like American football. Uh, I also like football, football as well. I grew up playing football, football, not American football. But I do love American football. And it was as it Cavazos was, is like, no. Yeah, Cavazos is in Tejas Sorry. where American football is a second religion. Uh, did you did you play any sports growing up or did you follow any sports growing up, Cavazos? Only sport, and I use this loosely, that I played was just cross country. I was lame, and I think the only reason why was because I was a homeschooler and my family needed PE credits to survive and pass the government <laughs> standards. And so they're like, all right, you're going to get plugged into the local uh, cross country team. And so that was, I think, the extent of my uh, my sportsmanship. But I do enjoy sports, but it's just not a thing in our household. I think the main reason is, is because aside from the fact that no one's played in sports, it is kind of like Fowler said, it can be, you know, just somewhat of a time consumer. I mean, the people who are like true devotees, I mean, come on, man. Like you, you have like Thursday night football now, Friday night football, Saturday night football, Sunday night football. I'm like, bro, <laughs> this is like weekly mass at this point. It's like daily <laughs> mass and going every night, <laughs> go and receive uh, the from the screen, you know, and stuff. Y- y'all y'all are, are way too negative. <laughs> So what? The reason I love American football is because it's it's easy to follow it wow. with uh, on on five minutes per week. You can follow the game without mm-hmm. you can you, you, if you miss the game, you could just look up the highlights and watch it for like fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's that's you like, could, you can wait, well, hold hold on, hold on. You just <laughs> tripled the time commitment. You said five and then fifteen. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, what do you do for neutralia? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you spend five minutes or 15 minutes but the most i mean the funnest thing to do is to play sports i think that's that, I, with, with sports with but your kids father did you did you play any sports growing up i tried i wasn't as athletic as i would have liked to have been but I, you, well, know, you were a police a, officer a very... you had to be you had to be athletic to be a police officer right or they, they just let anybody well, in these days i guess i was, it was sort of, that was a little bit of false modesty so i i, I played um basketball and football and I ran track. I was, I was pretty good at baseball when I was little, but I didn't keep up with it. So, uh, although I, I went to a small high school, so I kind of look back thinking maybe I thought back then that I was better than I actually was. You know, I was captain of the football team started on the varsity basketball team. And I was like, Oh man, I'm pretty good. And then 
like, but this is a really small school. You know, I realized this in college when people were coming to uh, University of Missouri from these schools with thousands of students. I'm like, the town I lived in had uh, less than 100 people. So maybe I really wasn't that good. <laughs> no, okay. But I did, I did play. I did play. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Paleocrat, what's your opinion of sports? Are you like these two Puritans and they, they hate, hate on the NFL? No. Did you did you, no. did you watch any games or do you play? Have did you play any great sports growing? I yeah, I, I grew up in a in a sports home. So like my dad coached uh, volleyball, girls volleyball for uh, JV and varsity. He coached um, uh, JV. He coached freshman uh, JV and varsity basketball. He coached uh, eighth grade and then JV and varsity football. So we it was like multiple sports, and he excelled in all of them. He was exceptional in all of them. So like. All year long, and he was a golf coach. <laughs> so for for our golf team, so he's also the golf coach. And so I, I grew up in a home that was like sports all the time. So my dad was a football player. He was a wrestler. He was the guy in the back of the yearbook. It was super ripped. And for people who know my dad, they might not believe that. <laughs> I don't mean to throw my dad under the bus, but I mean, like, uh, you know, so time happens. Um, so <laughs> I love the guy. Uh, but the uh, so, but I love it. I, I played sports. I was MVP in basketball for three years and MVP in golf for three years. But like Jake, I went to a small Christian. Well, I went to a small Christian school. So like we not very many people. And it wasn't until we played against other bigger schools that I saw kind of where I lined up. I was still in the top six or seven people in my class in my division in the entire state. So right. and that was a good that was a good year in golf. So it was it was it was good. I felt golf. really proud about it. Yeah, no, not a basketball, sport, no way, man. Well, you know, <laughs> golf is not a sport. Yeah, you don't get winded. You don't get winded if there's no physical golf, golf is not a People get injured, man. All I mean, the cross time. country is way more of a sport <laughs> than golf. People get injured in golf. What? what get People get injured in, in golf all the time, time man. All the time. Hey, Cavazos, though, I, Cavaz yeah. cross country is a hardcore sport. I mean, three point one miles, right? That's what that's what they run in Michigan. Did you run three point one miles? Is that the the standard race? Oh yeah, oh that's like that's like your that's like your base baseline race. You know, like anything below that's the warm up. I mean, right? I mean that that would be that's like the baseline sport. I mean, golf. Mm -hmm. Come on, golf is like billiards on a field. <laughs> billiards, billiards is my second favorite sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, I took first poker. place in straight pool, man. If anyone uh, ever wants to play me in fourteen point one, continue. I, you know, I, I want to play something. Cool play. Well, not only good morning to Stephen and Kyle, but if any of you watching this right now would join the Telegram chat for Paleocrats Wolfpack. Yeah. We can probably find a video of him playing basketball with his son, teaching him. How to <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, that will yeah. that will prove it. That will yeah, prove yeah, it, yeah. how good he uh, is. So he's got mad, mad skills. skills. Okay. No, oh, yeah. I. It's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Right. The yeah. Basketball. I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I grew up playing football, football, and I was the I was the goalie. That was my position. So. Ah, um, yeah, yeah. I in in uh, high school I did play volleyball, men's volleyball. We created the team. And also rugby. We had a rugby, um, like a um, club team, whatever. Rugby is one of the funnest sports to play. It is so much fun. Um, I would definitely like it better than American football to play because rugby is just, it's, it's, it's so much, you don't really get hurt either. I mean, you do get hurt, but when you get tackled, it's not as important that you gain yardage. And so, if you get tackled, you just go down willingly and then give the ball up to your mates. Um, and so it's just like, it's like soccer, except you, you carry the ball. It's like basketball on a field. It, it's, so it's like soccer, it's except it's not as boring and stuff. Not as boring. Well, yeah, you failed to appreciate yeah. what the entire world oh, no. appreciates. Yeah. Sorry, you're so you're in this oh, American man. bubble. Oh, I know, no, no. But I, I'm not. I'm not a curmudgeon. I, I look. I one of the things that I liked about Tim Gordon when I first saw him was that he had baseball cards behind him. You know, <laughs> I had I had baseball cards behind me and I stuff back then. Like baseball, I had baseball cards, football cards, basketball, and even some golf cards. Maybe even if I look real hard, I could probably find a golf <laughs> injury card. <laughs> yeah, Gordon, Gordon is a intense injury of the year. Yeah, basketball is a good game too. Anyway, oh, yeah. so let's let's get to our topic. I I have this. I really really excited because I'm I'm gonna read from this fantastic text 
that's going to kick us all in the teeth and it's going to be great a great spiritual kick in the teeth i love those by connor gallagher he's the ceo of tan books father of 14 (laughs) and he wrote this book called parenting for eternity and he has some awesome bits in here that i'm going to read in this uh our discussion about lent uh we are in septuagesima we're in the pre-lent season lent is coming it is sexagesima week this is the whole pre-lenten season as always go to literaturethehome.com buy this calendar do yourself and your children a favor septuagesima season we're gearing up for lent septuagesima lows last week we got sexagesima and quinquagesima and then we're off to the races, the great fast of Lent. So before we get in, before I read from Gallagher here, I wanted to encourage everybody to the meaning of Catholic are, let's see if I have this. Okay, here it is. So um, this is our penance sodality for Lent, the fellowship of St. Anthony. So we offer up a penance rule together under the patronage of St. Anthony. Tier one is vegetarian diet, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Everybody has to do tier one. Tier one is the minimum. Um, But tier two is a lot harder. Vegan diet for the entirety of Lent, including Sundays. That's tough. That's a lot harder than tier one. So tier one is the baseline. Tier two is the uh, next step. So if you want to join our penance sodality, right now we have 110 members or so, I think. In our penance sodality, this is really the spiritual core of our apostolate, is this penance sodality. We are a lay apostolate. We're all laymen here. Um, and our goal is to unite Catholics against the enemies of the Holy Church. That's what we want to do. And the chief enemies of Holy Church are the world, the flesh, the devil. They're not people, but people can sometimes sort of incarnate these in a particular way, which is fearsome. So they become their enemies, but the primary enemies are the world, the flesh, the devil. And as lay people, we can often get kind of cranky about bad clergy. You know, we have sex abuse crises, crises, plural in the church. We have, you know, corrupt clergy. We have situations with bishops or whatever. We can get pretty pretty cranky about that. We can just complain and cry on Twitter, which might Mm -hmm. endanger our own souls. Or we can do fasting and penance for them. That's the Catholic response. That's what we're promoting with St. Anthony is, we want to promote penance and reparation, mm-hmm. put all that anger that you may have at the clergy or whatever, put it into fasting and penance for them, offer reparation for them, and also pray that God would send us good priests. Pray, Offer up your penance for the good priests in your life. You know the good priests in your life? Offer penance for them. Help them. This is, how, this is our lay support of the clergy. So this is our, our spiritual core of this apostolate. Uh, where we can do our part as lay people, we can't we can't go and fix the problems in the church that are beyond our purview. We can't figure out all the liturgical problems. We can't uh, uh, you know decree this or that. We're not bishops. We're not priests. But as lay people, we can do this, and this is our this is our penance sodality. So the link is in the description to this video. Join below. Uh, let's let's read these texts. So I, I just want to read this. Get y'all's take on this text. And then we could talk all about practical things. The, the title of the show is Man Up for Lent, Lead Your Domestic Church. So whether you're a father of a family or you're in a domestic church of one, it's still a domestic church, or you may have roommates. You're in a domestic roommate situation, whatever. But I, I'm calling on all men to man up for Lent right now. Anybody who watches this, man up for Lent. Your, your job as a man of God is to suffer and offer penance this Lent to be a man of God and lead your domestic church. So let me read these these texts from uh, Gallagher, uh, which I think are awesome. So this is, again, the, the book here is, let me put it up on the screen. Let's see. So Parenting for Eternity by Connor Gallagher, CEO of Tan Books, father of 14, It's a fantastic text, and I just want to read two things from – the first is about parenting, and we'll talk about um, the other – because what what he talks about in this – this is the 
chapter, The School of Calvary, where he promotes one of my favorite texts by uh, the Passionist that I promote a lot. And he talks about parenting your children and basically teaching them how to suffer. And the, t- the tricky part is figuring out how to, as a man of God, you got to learn to suffer yourself in Lent. And then you also have to teach your children to suffer, to be able to suffer well, to suffer redemptively. So this was a powerful passage for me when I was reading this. Page 24. Perhaps my large number of children has spared me from the ability to spoil them. Perhaps I am too lazy to do so. But for whatever reason, I am astounded at how my peers, especially fathers, go to extreme lengths to make life easy for their children. Whether they are spoon feeding a child who can feed himself, doing dishes for a child who can reach the sink, folding laundry for a middle schooler, or paying good money to repair something that the teenager can figure out how to repair online. The modern parent often seeks to remove crosses from his or her child's path. On a natural level, there is a reason that children who grow up on a farm become more self-reliant, disciplined, and conservative adults, not expecting special treatment or government assistance to obtain their own success. Whether you live in a, on 100 acres or in a city apartment, you must force your child to do what he can do for himself. Why do parents so often coddle their children? One possibility that you must reflect on. They fear their child does not have sufficient respect for their authority and will thus revolt at the first sign of conflict. If you find yourself in this situation with, say, a teenager, you have perhaps failed for many years up to this point. Understandably, you cannot suddenly become a domineering force in the life of someone who has been allowed to walk all over you. The task before you is difficult. It is, in fact, one of conversion. And if you conclude that you have failed in your duties up to this present point, you should confess your sins of omission to a priest. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I have been a doormat for my kid for over 17 years. And now I must walk on eggshells to even influence him. This, my dear parent, is a good confession. The sacramental grace you will receive through the priest will enable you to navigate the rough waters ahead. So we have a variety of children between the the three of us fathers uh, of differing ages. And I I, I was really struck by this because really it galvanized me as a father to really uh, inculcate that love of doing work and being self-reliant and suffering in my small children so that as they grow, especially when they hit adolescence, they can do this with a better attitude. Uh, What we're doing for Lent in our home is we are for the little children. My, my oldest of the littles is seven. We're having a a good attitude. We're working on good attitudes. So uh, every time you do have a good attitude and you change it into a good, I'm sorry, you have a bad attitude. You change it into a good attitude. You get, you put in one of the, the ugly little uh, kidney beans in a jar. And then at Easter, all those little kidney beans are going to change into jelly beans. So mm. that's cool. I personally love mm. that tradition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my wife <laughs> it somewhere. Yeah. Um, that should be uh, Father John Brown actually is in the chat. Father, if you could work on getting that to be capital T tradition, we would all appreciate it. There yeah, we go. Yeah. yeah you you yeah, work on that stat. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. but, but the, um, so any comments from uh, Paleocrat or Fowler on this? What are your thoughts, children? <clears throat> me first, you first. Yeah, you can go. I'll ahead. go. Okay, yeah. I'll go. So, when, Tim, when you were reading, the first thing that struck me, like within the first couple of sentences, uh, was the, uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac. When they're going, uh, Abraham knows he's going to sacrifice his son. Isaac's not really sure yet. And he, he lays the wood on Isaac to carry so he's like loading his son down with the burden and then off we go on this journey and you don't really know where we're going Um, the reason that uh, popped into my mind I think is because as fathers uh, we are supposed to lead and guide our children to places that they're not going to understand and we have to burden them with uh, appropriate penances and ascetical disciplines, you know, according to their age, you know, so uh, whatever is appropriate for your your child's age and ability. But if we fail to do that, um, we're not doing them any favors. So by the time they reach the end point of whatever, you know, particular journey, uh, whatever stage of life that may be, if we have adequately prepared them, loaded them with their own burdens, and then guided them through it, then they'll come out 
spiritually mature or, or more spiritually mature, I should say, they'll come out better prepared. They'll come out understanding, you know, you have to imagine, um, on the walk home from that Abraham and Isaac had a little chat. So, uh, Hey dad, why did you try to kill me? Oh, right. Well, you see, um, God told me, okay, well now I understand. So there's, there's that initial period where, Hey kids, we're doing some Lenten disciplines. What's this for? We'll talk about that. But for right now, I need you to understand you're not going to do this or you are going to do that or what, whatever. Um, th that, that was kind of my first impression. I immediately thought of uh, Abraham and Isaac. I immediately thought oh. of that passage in the Old Testament that talked about stoning rebellious children. Um, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> it was on my mind. It's in the corner of my eye. <laughs> not going to lie. Uh, no, I, you know, I've actually been thinking about similar things. I want to look at it maybe from a different angle, though, right? Um, this idea was things that I've been thinking about have been not only um, the things that I've allowed, right? Especially with the young ones. But the things I've allowed, like like you said, by omission, by my simply not being there to help to adequately equip children. So whether it's prayer in the morning consistently, whether it's bedtime prayer consistently, whether it's a lot of things consistently, right? Well, you know, no matter no matter what it is, um, to to have it. And I I started thinking about it with my daughter. We went. I hate throwing her under the bus, but we're going to be doing this a lot to all of us in the family soon. So I'll do it now. Um, I went into her you, room. You set, your, you set an example for the children yeah. throwing yourself set, under the bus. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm throwing her, both of us. Well, I'll, it actually works out for both of us because that's how I figured it out. So I went into her room and it was hot trash. <laughs> it was nasty. It was, I, it was the, one of the grossest rooms I've seen in a long time. And I was ashamed because we hadn't, we changed the rooms around and given her this room because we thought it might help the situation because she had a problem with this in a bigger room and it just amplified it, it just made it worse which you know we're like okay duh um but i thought about it and said we hadn't really like worked with her about it at best it was an organized mess when we talked to her we never really got down to brass tacks about what it means to have a clean room or what it what it means to be clean or why do we put stuff back stuff like that and the and the this idea that bare minimum that you you get done with the kitchen or get done with this uh, the living room and that what is seen to most people when they first walk in the first impression is that it's, it passes. It's okay. And that's it. Right. And I said, so, and, and as long as that's clean, we can watch TV. <laughs> and so I've, I've, I've helped through omission. I've allowed them to form habits of basically saying, if people don't see it, it doesn't matter. If I don't see it, the dirty, the gross, the terrible, and, and, but it just, starts creeping <laughs> all over till eventually it's like all over you and you don't want anybody to come in your house. You're like, steal like, you know, elephant man, get out of here. And so it's, it's bad. So we're working with them to try to help them to, to better understand the things that they're going to need to do when they're by themselves because they're teens now. So working with them and saying, you're going to need a job. You're going to need to have a clean home. You're going to need to work. You're going to need to be up at a certain time, have your clothes prepared. So there are certain tasks now that have become very urgent. And the last thing, is incentive. We've we've told them for a long time that we would um, we could complain that they don't do a bunch of work and say, well, you know, we're not being strict enough. Some of it is we kind of have our own crying wolf in a way. We say, you know, I'll pay you this to do that, and they do it, <laughs> and then you say, well, I'll get, you know, I got it. it's in the bank, I don't have cash on me, and then you kind of get lost in, in these little calculator kids. They remember, and or at least they think they do, and they will argue with you like they do. Mm -hmm. And all the while, you haven't taught them to invest. You've taught them to de to be suspicious of you. You've taught them to to say, "I work and I do stuff," and they tell me they're going to do it, and they don't do it. And so we've started switching stuff around, giving them a sense of purpose in the work they do in the house, roles like official roles, like even in the apostolate that we have here, like functions and responsibilities and stuff. And um. And incentivizing by saying, we'll meet you midway on the stuff that like technologies to train you and, and stuff like that. But even to pay you to say, if I'm going to pay you, I'll pay you this much for this project. And if you do it, I'll get, I'll have that money. And I won't offer it unless I have it. And so we're actually doing it so that they can understand that how this works, you know, you work and you get paid. And so there's a lot of things that have been happening, but it's been a focus 
on my omission as well as what that's going to require, not just walking on eggshells, but what you got to do now. You have a lot that's on you. I have a lot Great. that's on me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, your your oldest is a senior, right? Paley crap. No, no, he's no, he's he's almost oh, sixteen no. though. No, almost oh, yeah, sixteen. Was, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a sophomore, right? Yeah. So I have 16, okay. 14, right. and almost thirteen. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I found that w so our eighteen-year-old, my oldest, is. I found that she was transformed when she got a real job. It was like a transformation. And it was awesome. Um, and just the the adulting of uh, getting a job, getting money, you know, paying for your own thing and everything. Um, <clears throat> but if you are in a domestic church of one or a roommate, whatever, this is, you know, if your vocation is marriage, this is where you're going to. Or if you're going to be a monk or a priest, either way, you have to afflict yourself. You have mm -hmm. to get a hold of yourself and the important like especially if you're a father your children see what you do and that's a like palecrat you're talking about that when we were doing the guild stream about uh mass controversies and how much your children look at you especially the very small children just look at you and they they mm -hmm. look and see what you do and how much that affects them um <clears throat> i remember growing up me seeing my father praying at his knees in the morning is is just a thing that always has still stuck with me and it always struck me and just hit me and taught me just by looking seeing it um <clears throat> so uh Cavazos, you are in a domestic are you in a domestic church of one do you live by yourself tell no, us well, about any anything from your upbringing you want to share or anything you're doing practically to get yourself in shape for lent thoughts yeah it's something that this just overarching subject of penance and how that affects the people around you. One thing I might just say for the viewers who are in my situation, right? Or maybe they're, you know, in a situation where kids are out of the house, right? And they don't have a lot of influence over their children anymore. You'd be surprised at what other people just see, right? Just people in your life. So I'm thinking of in my life specifically, just the people I teach, right? Whether that be the sixth grade catechism that I teach or whether that be the altar servers that I train, things along that nature. It, it's surprising how much they pick up. <clears throat> and I'll give an example. There was a time where uh, when I was a, a new altar server, where basically uh, because of how the mass times are arranged uh, in our diocese, they uh, they take the, uh, the Tridentine mass and they kind of shove it to the most awkward time of the day, 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, which is, you know, better, better late than never, but you know, it's also not, it's also not nine o'clock. Um, anyway, and what's interesting at that time is that, uh, you know, we have a great altar server program of like, you know, probably like 50 names signed up in the system, you know, just a ton of servers. It's, it's great. It's a great problem to have. But the problem is, is that most of these boys, um, this is not really a problem on in one specific sense, but in another it is, um, they're all, you know, below the age of 10. And so while it's great that they're being exposed to these types of things, they're still 10, you know, and so you have to, you have to work on them. Um, well, the thing is that there was a, a time where when I first joined, it was just chaos, you know, chaos, getting everyone lined up and getting everything set. But we, I kind of just took the initiative one Sunday to be like, you know, we need to make sure that we have not just everything done, but also like three to five minutes to pray together before we go out and say mass. And once we started doing that, it was cool because I started doing that to where even now, you know, when I am finishing up the last things and I'm, you know, like darting into the door right as we're about to start, they're already starting to do the prayers by themselves, you know, all together before they go into mass. They don't need me to lead them per se. You know, maybe I, I was that catalyst in the beginning, but they're the ones finishing, right? They're the ones taking that initiative themselves same thing with my catechism class you know me talking about the importance of catechism really starts to affect certain students where they're saying you know it's not just a class that i need to go to but it's a book that i need to take home and i need to read and actually understand myself <clears throat> so never underestimate the uh, ability of your influence that you do have when it comes to that life of penance penance is so key especially it's always been key right for as long as man has had the defects of sin 
but it's so important now in the 21st century more than ever. And from the single person's perspective, I'll, I'll touch on this because it's my own, my own life. You really have to be careful because since you don't have a partner that you're with, or maybe since you don't have other people underneath you, um, you are going to have in a really unique way, I think, temptations and struggles uh, whether that be with particular vices or whether that be with overarching uh, problems like despair, right? You're going to have that. And so there's a lot of single Catholic men who I know who are really fervent in faith, but they are very depressed at the situation. Because like, let's be honest, secular society, does it like men or does it not like men? Enough said, it does not like men at all. Right? It definitely doesn't like young men and definitely doesn't like young conservative religious men at all. And so when you have a society that doesn't like you, as well as, I mean, just let's be honest, a church that at the same time isn't like, yo, yo let's go get all the young men and, and gather them all together, right? The whole church seems to only talk about women, women, bring women in, bring women in, bring women in. And all the single guys are like, society doesn't want me. My parents didn't want me. The church doesn't want me. It's just the bros at the gym. That's all we can go back to, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. Well, the thing is, the church has an opportunity to say, you can be great. But it's going to take suffering. This thing that you're going through right now, use it and harness it to benefit. So fasting, frequent fasting, frequent prayer, and frequent communal life with your fellow brothers is going to be something that's important. Last thing I'll say, uh, and then maybe we can get into particulars if you want to get into it, maybe particular examples uh, of stuff that we can do. But the priest in uh, our parish yesterday, he had a great line from a book of Fulton Sheen, where he says the devil has his own martyrs, right? The devil has his martyrs. And what he means by that is when you look at a martyr, a martyr is someone who suffers, right, bodily harm uh, for the sake of the gospel, right? And they ultimately give up their life. Well, it's something, too, where when we're all suffering, we do have that chance of saying, whose martyr am I going to be? You know, am I going to just, you know, if you will, fly off? Go on Twitter, complain to the world about woe is me, look at all my problems. Or maybe you lash out at other people who are either above or below you in anger or vengeance. And you say, oh, okay, you know, I, I'm going to make this all about me, right? That's the devil's martyr, right? Taking pain and using it as a weapon. Or what we can do is we can take pain, even the sufferings that God gives us in this life, which we should accept and embrace, and we can embrace them. We can, by God's grace, turn them into something that's beautiful. And, and I think that that's the spirit of martyrdom that we can all apply to ourselves even if it's not physical martyrdom now that spirit we should take with us and say okay i'm receiving the world doesn't like me you know people don't like me you know the situation's tough right now let me embrace suffering or let me embrace this and let me give it back to the service of god in some form or fashion so that's my thoughts from a single man's perspective Fantastic. That, that, that's that's yeah really that's good. that's good it, it good uh, stuff. yeah thank you Cavazos, because, uh, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of single men who are struggling with despair because everybody hates them. Nobody values um, their efforts. I think um, one thing I'll say to young single men uh, is think about our forefathers in the faith who all were faced with the same situation that we have now. It's in just different ways. Uh, because St. Paul says all who live will live righteously will be, be persecuted. And so everyone who desires to be a man of God will face persecution and suffering and be hated. That's just a fact. Any any age you live in. So uh, to me, one of the things that really struck me as a man was learning about uh, the teaching from St. Thomas on effeminacy. Mm -hmm. This is what has really struck me. Um because what effeminacy is, it's a vice. Effeminacy is a vice which is a reluctance to suffer because of an attachment to pleasure. So you're attached to some pleasure, like you just, like you just said, Cavazos. Um, going on Twitter and complaining about your problems gives you a pleasure because it's designed by these people. People designed Facebook and all these places because they understood psychology and they said, wow, mm -hmm. people get a serotonin boost. They get a endorphin rush or whatever when they get a bunch of likes wow that's awesome let's create an addictive system which allows everybody to go online and complain and then get all these likes and that's a psychological pleasure because mm -hmm. we're i mean god designed us to have a certain pleasure when people like us and there's a certain good to that of course but there's a there's a great effeminacy that men can be stuck into when they they get stuck in these uh in these 
social media devil holes. Mm -hmm. uh, but it can be a, an addiction to pleasure that's even much worse than that, like an addiction to pornography, a.k.a. evil images, uh, mm -hmm. all sorts of things. Or you, you could be, I mean, you could just be a slave to your belly. If you don't know how to fast, if you don't know how to discipline your body and fast and, and say no to meat, say no to whatever pleasure, um, how are you possibly going to say no to a serious temptation? If you can't say no to a burger, how are you going to say no to a mortal sin temptation? That I mean, that that is one of the basic. If you read the Desert Fathers, St. John Cassian, uh, overcoming fasting, um, fasting and overcoming gluttony, gluttony and lust, which are two different vices related because they're both pleasurable centers in your in your uh, nature that God created. God created us to enjoy uh, the marital act and food. But if you if you can't have chastity and, and, and temperance, um, you are effeminate. I'm mm -hmm. Sorry, bad news, uh, but wake up and smell the sulfur. <laughs> you need to understand that if you are effeminate, uh, St. Paul says the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You have to overcome this vice, men, and the very basic part of doing that is embracing suffering, starting with fasting, starting with disciplining your stomach. That's the very basic thing. Uh, I want to just read this passage from Gallagher, <clears throat> and then all all. Uh, practical things, any practical thoughts from anybody about uh, what you're going to do or what you recommend uh, to man up for Lent. Because ultimately, if, if as men, if as men of God, who we seek it to be men of God, if we don't overcome effeminacy in all different aspects of our life, uh, we'll just never become men of God and we'll never be able to help either our brother, our neighbor, or our wife and children. So this is a critical thing. So, um, Gallagher speaks to all, the whole family here, though. So this is for the whole family. Page 132. Husband, does your love for your wife have a price? So he's talking about giving unconditional love to your wife in imitation of Christ, uh, embracing all suffering for her sake. How much appreciation must she give you for you to love her as Christ loves his church? What is your minimum price? Must she stroke your ego at least once a month for you to die small deaths for her? Once a week? A day? From one man to another, I hope such a question torments you as it does me. So obviously he's saying there's no price. You, you can't wait for your wife to respect you before you die for her. You got to die for her before and, and really unconditionally whether or not she, no matter what she does, basically. Yeah. And then he talks to wives. And wife, does your love for your husband have a price? Just exactly how much weight must he carry around the house to warrant your respect? What is your docility worth? Is doing 17% of the housework worth work an equitable consideration for your feminine devotion? Or do you draw the line at 32%? I pray you will contemplate unconditional love the next time you are tempted to negotiate through the sacrament of matrimony. Yes, you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot raise your child to love his or her cross until you love your own. Your son will learn the way of the cross by watching his dad joyfully maneuver through mom's mood or hypercriticism. Your daughter will learn the way of the cross by watching mom affectionately walk dad back from a sinful burst of anger or patiently pushing him out of his slothful slumber. You, father and mother, are walking, breathing, bleeding stations of the cross. And if you fail in this mortal duty, your soul is in the most severe jeopardy of eternal damnation. Why? Because the God-man said, and he that taketh not up his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 38. Thus, if you have failed in your duty to instruct your little one in the way of the cross, you have most assuredly and woefully led your child astray. And it is better that a millstone be tied around your neck and that you be cast into the depths of the sea. If three gospel quoting the same divine warning is not enough, I am not sure what is. The earthly reward, however, can be sweet if God wills it. As your children grow, you will learn they respect you not for the pleasures you provide, but for the suffering you willingly endured for them and with them, and most assuredly, completely apart from them. Those little eyes see and have sympathy for the involuntary suffering you endure. But they watch, internalize, memorize, and imitate the voluntary sufferings you endure. Little minds know that dad and mom did not have to make that sacrifice. They know dad does not have to wake up early to say his prayers. They know mom does not have to turn the cell phone off to read scripture for five minutes in quiet. They know. 
They know the family does not have to load up screaming kids to go to confession frequently. They know. And they will love you for it. They will want to be like you. And one day when you catch your young adult going to Eucharist adoration, you will feel the tenfold return for your many sacrifices. Yes, even in this life, if God so wills it. So, Amen. Gallagher, thoughts? Well, uh, Gallagher is spot on. And I would just like to add, I'm sure he, he addresses this at some uh, other point in the book, but um, if we're doing all of those things, but as a curmudgeon, it's all <laughs> for nothing. Yeah, it's all it's all for nothing because so, yeah, your kid's going to see you suffering, whether it's voluntary or involuntary. But if you're grumbling about it the whole time, then that's the lesson that he or she will learn. OK, when you suffer, you complain, you kind of try to avoid it. You try to get out of it when you can't get out of it. You just be sour all the time. All right. And, th and that's that's a huge struggle for me. Um, if my wife were awake at this hour, she would tell you this is like the chief thing. You know, I can I can do ascetical disciplines with the best of them, but remembering not to be a giant jerk while I'm doing that. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like, I, you know, we, we did uh, some friends of mine and I one year we did Exodus 90 and it's like, OK, cold showers for 90 days. Sweet. Um, you know, don't eat, do the high intensity uh, workouts, like all the things to punish yourself. And then in the midst of all that, I'm punishing everybody else, too, because I'm always mm. mad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good, so there's there's that um, that interior disposition is absolutely crucial because that's, you know, OK. Mm -hmm. So, again, your children will see the external sufferings, but they're also seeing how do you respond? Like when so when you when you take on your your voluntary Lenten penances, whatever they may be, uh do you say things like, well, you know, you have to give something up for Lent? Uh, well, we can't eat meat on Fridays or, or, or maybe you're choosing additional days, whatever it may be. Or do you rephrase it like, I am offering this to Christ. I get to do this penance. You know, the church mm -hmm. uh, blesses us with this time. Like so it, it may be subtle uh, and, and maybe they won't get it right away, but over time. Um, that interior disposition will manifest itself and they'll suffer well, you know? Uh, and one more thing I, I probably should have spoken up like 25 minutes ago, but when, you know, when we're tempted uh, to look at the state of the world, the church, um, even our own families and our own spiritual lives, and we're tempted to be angry, despairing, to, to lash out, we have to maybe remember that we have a share in this, a big share. And it may be, maybe we're reflecting and, and we're angered by the sins of others. But that just rein, uh, reinforces the point that sin is social. And what two generations ago, whatever their sins were, failing in whatever regard or doing, you know, the sins of commission that they ought not have done, we're inheriting that. Like we're living in the same world. So if we're, if we're looking at our priests and bishops going, you know, I'm underwhelmed. Well, that's because way back when their parents did or didn't do something they should have. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, okay. So understanding the social impact of sin, how am I going to press forward? Am I going to go um, and be grumpy? Am I going to go lash out? Am I going to cower? Am I going to hide? Am I going to run away? Or am I going to say, well, in order to, you know, not perpetuate this social sin interiorly, I'll suffer well, exteriorly, I'll suffer well. And then, you know, fast forward two generations from now, maybe our kids do in fact have it better. So those are my brief thoughts. Absolutely. I, I, I love what you're saying because that, I mean, ultimately I think, um, you know, people can get mad about effeminate bishops or whatever, but, they had effeminate fathers as well. That can be a, a, a right. prime prime uh, situation that that created uh, bad clergy or whatever. So it starts in the home. Uh, I was, was yeah. going to say, I love what everybody said so far uh, about um, making the these things come alive. Right, that they see it in action. 
uh, that your kids see it in your practice, that it's not just simply something you say, like, hey, you need to clean up. You're a, a real wreck. And then they walk by your room and your room is a total mess, <laughs> which is going back to the conversation that I never finished and said, yes, it wasn't Teresa. It was me because <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I realized I was complaining about her and my room was a, a total mess. But it, leading by example and saying, you know, rather than just complaining about what other people are doing, instead lead by example and figure out different ways to talk about um, the things that you're you're dealing with, even the way that you're describing how it impacts you. And I, I just, I want to say this, because, you know, and I, I don't want to be saying the mud about it, but a lot of the conversation about effeminate and effeminacy and young men in today's day and age, I think the conversation amongst many of them, that, that the conversation itself is very effeminate. I think that a lot of it is that they want to be appreciated and loved and coddled by the world. I don't know who they're appealing to. Are they, does the church hate them? Does their parish? Do their parents friends? If so, their parents need new friends. <laughs> like, like you need to seriously. We live in a, in a world where if you're around, we have terrible, terrible stuff in Hollywood. So what? Do you care? Do you? I don't. I don't care, and I don't want my sons to think that I care. I don't want my sons to think that I care that a bunch of people on Twitter. But if I go on Twitter every day and I get and I'm all riled up, typing away all riled and ticked off. What am I showing my children? Mm. Do I, am I showing them that they shouldn't care what the world thinks? I can promise that my children, that the world will hate them. I cannot promise that they will like them and they'll hate them for things far more serious than whether they're a man or a woman, but whether they love and serve God. And so to me, I look and say, stop being effeminate and complaining, start being a man, be a man, rise up, organize with other men, do strong, manly things, advance and we have to be honest when we're when we're sitting there and we're, we're talking about these things and and parents and raising children and them following in the way of the lord that's why i say the word victory so much <laughs> because that's true and we make babies so we're making babies raising them they continue we win and we already know it anyway <laughs> we already know it anyway because he's the king of kings and he has a kingdom that doesn't end and all things are in him so we can be confident in this we can be confident as young men. We don't have to. We don't have to to desire to be appreciated in that way. We can make a name for ourselves. And and I, when you um, are part of the body, and you say, who who's whose opinion are you really interested in? Is it the American, you know, psychology groups and stuff? Is it a university system? Is it corporate America? What is it? Is it TV? Is it social media? Or is it your real life? everyday life and the people you've surrounded yourself with. And we, we should be in the business of creating cultures uh, for people, even as refuges and, and sanctuaries for people to say, look, if you really are in a desert of that, we have an oasis over here because we take this real serious. And so I'm down for, for leading by example. <laughs> so, but that, that would be one of the things I would propose to young men. And I would hope that they'd be masculine enough, masculine enough to at least consider it. Calm. Uh, I really like <laughs> rather than get mad at me. Yeah, that's fantastic because I mean it's really just trying to get into the perspective so that you are contemplating truth. You're not contemplating falsehood because the internet contributes to a perception of falsehood. You think the whole world mm -hmm. sucks, everybody is terrible. Like, don't put don't put all of these things that are under God's control. God is going to deal with all those people. God is going to take care of all the other stuff. Just let God deal with that and deal with your own stuff that you got in your own situation. Don't put your, put all this burden. You're like making yourself God. And like you said, I love what you said, Pilocrat. Whose opinion do you care about? Whose opinion do you care about? Um, right. Practically let's yeah. we got 10 more minutes. Let's talk practical. One of the most important things that piece of wisdom that was given to me years ago by my spiritual father was that you have to, um, what you do is you decide on something that you can really do and you try, you work to do it for a period of a few, like, for example, I want to do 15 minutes of mental prayer every single day. Okay. Commit to that for the first two weeks. And if you fail miserably, reduce it, go down to five minutes, 
start there. You have to start very slow. So you, cause mm-hmm. we want long-term spiritual growth. That's the goal. You don't want to be zealous in Lent and then just fail for Paschal Tide. And then you're, you did nothing. And then the rest, you got to do the same thing next Lent. You want to do long, long-term. So, and the devil, if you, if you're a real zealous soul and you start off, Oh, 15 minutes of mental prayer, 30 minutes of mental prayer. Oh, I, I, well, I, I messed up the second day, third day. I'm, Oh, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'm such a bad human. Oh, I'm that's the devil. The devil's going to come in and try to trick you and uh, get, or maybe get you to do more than you can take. So the important thing of starting small and going long-term we're, we're in a race to win the race and go to heaven. And so don't go, don't take too much, but also don't be lax. Don't, you, you gotta, you gotta find that sweet spot in your own self, wherever your disciplines are to take the next step, this Lent, which is both challenging, but also not too much. So you can look to the long term. So that's a general piece of wisdom, whatever that is. I've already provided our Lenten sodality, uh, organizing you in your local group. We got in my parish, we have troops of St. George. So we got our, our, we're going to have a, a little, um, fraternity Lenten practice with our troops of St. George dads in my parish. Um, gentlemen, what are some practical things, practical wisdom through trial and error that you've found or whatever, or practical thoughts? Hmm. Well, if you're going to be making significant adjustments to your diet, tell your wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, especially if she's the one that buys the food for the house. So uh, a couple of years ago, I decided like, I'm going to try like a real hardcore Lent. And this is the year that I was just a pain for everyone else. Um, it not, well, I guess that's every year, but <laughs> this one was really bad. Um, and I decided quite on my own that I wasn't going to eat this and I wasn't going to eat that. And, you know, Terry goes to the store and then next thing you know, I'm like, oh, no, thank you. What do you mean? I bought all kinds of, you know, sausage or we're having tacos tomorrow. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. Well, what are you going to eat? You know, I'm not really sure. Okay. So that was, you know, we, we weren't in sync on that. It was, a, it was a, a moment of tension. Um, and well, so get, get your wives and your families on board if you're making significant dietary or schedule changes. You know, if you always take your kid to basketball practice, but uh, for Lent, you imprudently decide that's when you're going to do a holy hour that's they're okay maybe you can do that maybe somebody else can take him to basketball practice but you will need to plan ahead so don't do the thing where it's like you know fat tuesday right before ash wednesday and you're like okay i need to i need to decide something before tomorrow morning that's why the church gives us a season of septuagesima so that we can implement those plans now so that ash wednesday we're ready to go um a practical thought that occurred to me while we were just, you know, just this morning was uh, I'll issue a challenge and I'll try to live up to this myself. Say less. To, to just literally speak less. When, when somebody is talking to you, just listen. Don't try to respond. I mean, don't, don't be a jerk. Don't ignore them. But um, internalize. Receive. And when you do say something, measure your words. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't speak um, needlessly. Don't, um, if, if you don't need to make a social media post, don't do it. If you don't need to spend, you know, 15 minutes chatting on whatever other platform, don't do it. Instead, receive. And that reception may be, I'm going to go sit in the chair and be quiet. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, you know, have an epiphany about something. Maybe I'll read a book, but say less, be more silent in your life. That is awesome. St. James says let every man be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. It's going to be a huge challenge for me. So I'm, I'm going to try. We'll see how it goes. I will be commenting on, Power of Silence by Cardinal Seurat in on this channel as part of that. Any, I've uh, f- got five minutes left. Palecrat or T- Thomas, y'all want to add on to this? Uh, I'll just say that um, you know, practical suggestions are going to depend on uh, where your kids are, like who who they are, who you are, what they what they want to do. For me, I'll give you an example of something that we've done recently. Is 
trying to take interests that they have that may not be my own interests, but are realistic ones for their generation and for the kind of world that they're living in now <laughs> and that, that they will live in, then I meet them midway. And that I say, I don't know anything about that stuff, but I can equip you to be uh, to to make the best use of the technologies that you have at your fingertips and instill within them simple little things at a time that teach them little bit by little bit, mainly through practice with them, like with the, with the camera editing and doing making little projects with them and stuff like that. And that way that way they can learn it. And that way they can apply it to themselves and for what they want to do with their gifts and talents. But you've at least done the best you can. And I, I told somebody yesterday, I said, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus is raised by, he's a carpenter's son. I said, we, we've lost some of that now. And I said, but yet we have those skill sets as parents. Man, we should do our best to, you know, I can't certify my, my children in this, but I can give them the best I can to equip them with those things that help me get along and to provide for the world that they had. So that, you know, that would be one thing. And, and, you know, just to, just to get to a place, um, just get to a place with your family where you're working with them and not just at them, but that you figure out how to make your family a team. And maybe there's a lot of work that goes behind that. You know, maybe I don't know where you are, what you went through or the ups and downs and whatnot. But the idea that God has made you a unit, you have a domestic church and that's a body. There's a unity there that's different from any other unity and a camaraderie and a fidelity to that, a willingness to sacrifice and to endure and to dream and to envision and to fight and to work. And so all these things into play and all that. And so to, to, to start thinking of those things more in the sense of, you know, Jeremiah, son of Tim, right? Like that, that's a Tim Bannister kind of thing. You know, that sort of concept to say, how does that change the way you think? How does that change the way you look at your children and say, when they move on and they go beyond and, and, and walk out that door, have I equipped them to the best of my ability to be good, faithful, upright, brilliant, <laughs> creative, and charming, beautiful kids <laughs> that love the Lord and that are going to advance the kingdom and to continue pressing the social kingship of Christ. If I've done that and I've done the best I can, then good. Uh, if not, then woe is me. And so I am working right now to do my best. And so I would, and if people got suggestions, let me know. I'm always, I'm always open because uh, anything to help learn to do it even better, all the better. Fantastic. This has been such a fantastic show. I am greatly encouraged and edified by all of you. Cavazos, you have some final Thomistic distinctions to give us before we pray our Ave. <laughs> uh only distinction would be is that uh rem <laughs> so remember that you know one of the main points of lent not not the only but one of the main points of lent is going to be um that threefold end of fasting which is raising your intellect to god um satisfying for the sins that you have committed in the past right and then especially right learning how to combat that concupiscible appetite so as you guys, whatever you guys pick, right, you, the viewers, whatever you guys pick to do in Lent, always have not just that mind and goal, right, that you're just trying to fix your life in some form or fashion. But remember, it's going to be ultimately God's grace which is going to fix you. But take those things that whatever you guys decide to do, take those things and ask yourself the question, how am I going to love better today? I think as men especially, we sometimes fall into the – maybe a little bit of an excess of just like it is sometimes a very militant um, faith that we have to embrace in order to survive. But I want you guys to take those linen pen penances and as you're just walking down the street, right, as you're going back into your house, as you're going into your local parish, if you're going into your barber, right, like I'm going to in a couple hours, how are you going to love the person that is in front of you, right, in this time of suffering, right, in this good time of suffering? So just keep that maybe ever on your mind, because remember, we do all these things because we love God, but therefore it can't just be to God alone. It has to be as well as our neighbor for the love of God. And so that's my final thought. Make sure you're loving people as you go through this Lent. Fantastic. Yeah. That, that, thank you, everyone, for your comments. Uh, I am excited for Lent. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, I'm going to crash and burn, but <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just so happy that uh, you know we're, we're all doing this together, and, and that's, yeah. it's fantastic. So 
as always, let's offer it all to our lady to so that she can cleanse all of our offerings for Lent from all of their defects and all of the all the different impurities that are in, polluting our offerings. So let's offer this all to our lady and we'll invoke our patrons at the apostolate. Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. Mary, Queen of the Home, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. Saint Anthony of the Desert, pray for all clergy and seminarians. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus is King.